0: And this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean episode 50 something, I don't know, but we are with... 54 I always forget to look and then the the title on here is truncated Uh, we are with our first Monday of the month live uh, for the public to consume ask the dean is a special Facebook live stream typically Facebook live stream that we do for our mapped members we are the mapped team Dr. Scott Wright and Rachel Grubbs Rachel Grubbs you are my co founder of mapped hello how are you doing.
1: Indeed, I am your co-founder and I'm great. I love Astadine.
0: I love Astadine as well. And I am with Dr. Scott Wright, who is uh, the man of many talents, uh, (laughs) former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, retired executive director at TMDSAS, and now our VP of academic advising at MAPT and, and soon-to-be supervisor of our new advisor, who we will introduce next week. I'm excited to do that. Ooh, mm-hmm, yay. Uh, these are all recorded. They all go up to YouTube afterwards, so have no fear. If you can't stay the whole time, uh, you can go watch this one, as well as all of our past episodes. Even though we record these typically every Monday, again, exclusively for, exclusively for our mapped members, we do publish uh, the archives to YouTube for public consumption as well as put them out as a podcast for everyone to listen to. The format of this is just an open Q&A. So... Come play with us, ask your questions in YouTube. That's where we're pulling our questions. I'm streaming here to Instagram live as well. I won't be looking at questions here, so come join us on YouTube, either at premed.tv or mapped.tv. Uh we'll talk about mapped a, a little in a little bit. Let's go ahead and start answering some questions. Yeah. All right. First question, of course, where my camera is, I can't see the freaking question. So I'm going to move the camera. Sorry, Instagram Live people. Uh, we'll, we'll get you set up again in a second. Some schools say that they want less than five letters, but our school committee packet includes seven letters. Is that okay? Otherwise, how would you recommend handling it, please? There's always lots of confusion around letters and then committee letters or packet letters from the committee. And, and typically the answer is, your committee letter is the letter, and don't worry about anything else. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't worry about minimums, maximums. The letter is the letter; it trumps everything. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. Agreed. <clears throat>
2: Five, seven, eight, ten, twelve,
0: 15. Yeah. <laughs> Five, seven, eight, 10. Exactly. All right, I got. I got to figure out a place for this. Uh, what is the truth behind everything in by Labor Day? Is on time rule, please. Is having everything complete by the end of August considered on time? Thank you. I don't know this rule. Anything on Labor Day. I I know you're not supposed to wear white after Labor Day. I don't know anything else. (laughs) (laughs) No,
2: I've never heard that. I've never heard that rule. Uh, I I, I, I say um, you want to be early. And early, in my view, is defined as sometime in... June, early July, uh, have everything complete if possible. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I've never heard this Labor Day rule. So I, yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and just for those who don't understand what we're talking about, it all comes down to rolling admissions. Rolling admissions means medical schools, the majority of medical schools here in this country, in the US, look at applications on a first come first served basis offer interview seats on a first-come, first-served basis, and then typically will offer acceptances based on those people who they've interviewed. Mm -hmm. And so if you are applying early, theoretically, your application has the chance to be reviewed before people who are applying later. And there's some, some guesses and some theories that standards are a little bit looser to begin with, and then they get tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter as there are less and less seats available. And I've had conversations, and Scott, obviously you were the director of admissions at a medical school. I've had conversations with, with committee members who are like, I had an amazing application on my desk, but they applied in October, and I just I didn't have... I didn't uh-huh. have a, a, an interview spot for them. And if they would have uh-huh. applied two months earlier, they would have most definitely gotten the interview invite. Yep. How, how does that look on, on your end? Yeah, I think that's
2: exactly right. I think that you know it's, it's, it's an issue of probabilities because uh, the probability goes down as the season goes on because yep. the, the number of interview slots is finite. And so once those interview slots start filling up, then your probability goes down. Uh, it's just a simple issue of mathematics, really, yeah. and uh, and so you want to just get get your um, application complete and uh, in in the mix of those decisions as early as you can. Yeah.
0: What's the the potential theory with interviews going virtual last cycle? Probably a large percentage being virtual this cycle. Hopefully, some sort of hybrid in the future. What there's there's some discussion or some theories from students that oh they're going to have more interview spots because they're virtual. Do, uh-huh. Is there any credence to that? I, I
2: don't think so. My my view would be it, it's an issue of faculty time yeah. and uh, and of uh, the the ability of the committee to uh, to review applications. It doesn't matter if it's virtual or It's in person, it's the same committee, it's the same interviewers, uh, their time, and so the logistics uh, don't change radically when things go virtual. Uh, Maybe there's a little bit of a window to expand that some, but my sense is that it's not a great expansion, and so I would say it doesn't really
0: change anything. Yeah. Agree, agree. Yeah. All right. Let's keep rocking and rolling. And and I didn't mention at the beginning, typically Ask the Dean is 45 minutes to an hour Um, today because we're live on bigger channels. We're going to go for an hour and a half, assuming you have questions to fill an hour and a half worth of space. So we're here to answer your questions. Vijay says, if I'm financially unable to afford to make more than a class or two for my post back, will this impact me negatively? I've gotten all A's thus far in my post back. Hmm. So the question is: do you need a postback? And why are you taking a postback? My assumption is they're they understand this process and understand that they're doing a post back to improve grades. Mm-hmm. Right? We talk all the time in here about upward trends, and postbacks are a great way to have that upward trend. The question is. What does your trends look like, and how long has that trend been? And so, Scott, what what's your thoughts there? And as you're talking about that, I'm going to pull up maps real quick, yeah, um, to show what that looks like potentially.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that you're right. My my uh, my sense about this one is that you know, if um, you know, there are postback programs that are designed specifically for um, for students who need to improve their, their GPA, who need to show that growing trend, who need to show that they are capable of doing the academic work uh, to be a strong uh, student in medical school. And if you can only do, as, as Vijay puts it, if you can only do a couple of classes, now I, I'm not clear on if that means a couple of classes per semester or if that's just a class or two total, um, I don't understand, you know, maybe whether that, uh, w- which it is. But my sense is, his question says, will this impact me negatively? It will have an impact. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, VJ, I, I don't want you to think that, um, you know, I, I guess my sense is that, yes, it will impact you. The more post classes you have, the greater contention that you're going to be able to make that you are um, capable of doing the work at a very high level. The re- reduction of that will have an impact. Now, how much of an impact is, is unclear. Um, uh, but you know, more is going to equal better in terms of those, uh, those courses. Uh, as, you, as you're taking them, uh, as you're collecting them and doing well on them, the more you have the better you're going to be able to make that contention that this is me as opposed to the past me, which didn't maybe do as well in in, in courses.
0: Yeah. So let me um, share my screen here real quick and show you kind of what we mean by, let's see, um, uh, an upward trend. So this is Mapped. For those of you who don't know Mapped, Mapped is a technology platform that Rachel and I co-founded last year. Uh, still very new. It's still a baby. Uh, it's in its toddler phase, walking around and crashing into things. Luckily, we don't have a lot of bugs. Um, or any that I, that I know of, at least, off the top of my head. Uh, but Mapped, uh, once you are able to enter all of your data... Uh, All of this data here on the dashboard is the GPA data that comes from courses. And so you can enter all of the courses you've taken at all of the different schools you've gone to. And we have a database of over 4 million courses from close to 2,000 schools at this point uh, to try to get as accurate of a representation of courses as possible. And once once you enter in all of your courses and grades, Then you can start to see what your GPA looks like. And fortunately or unfortunately, your transcript GPA, especially if you've gone to multiple schools, and even if you've gone to one school, doesn't always reflect what the medical school GPA will be. AMCAS, ECOMAS, TMDSAS all calculate your GPA differently. And so we have all of those calculations here right on your dashboard uh, that you can see. <clears throat> and then we have a, a detail page with even more data. And I'm gonna come down here to this class standing GPA because this is what the question is about, is that upward trend. And so you can see here, this demo student started off not so hot at a 2.71, but then you see over time, 3.7, 3.8, 3.7, 40, oh, Over time, they have shown academic capability to do well in medical school. Even though their cumulative undergraduate GPA is not stellar, right? It's not sexy. I like to say, but but overall they look great, right? Because of that GPA detail, Scott. When when you were director of admissions at TMDSAS and not director of admissions, when you were executive director at TMDSAS Mm -hmm. as well as dean of admissions at, 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 at UT Southwestern, talk about the discussion over how to view GPAs when, when you were in charge of going, okay, this is how I want to look at a GPA because this is what tells me the best, uh, the best picture of a student. How would you have those discussions? Yeah,
2: we would <clears throat> amongst the committee members, you know, we would show a similar graph to, to what Matt, uh shows and uh, it would, it would show us uh, those trends. And when, when the admissions committee would, would view a trend that was clearly a, a rising trend, uh, then it gave the committee a lot of encouragement uh, that this is a student who is capable of doing the work and has really, is really showing, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about it is many committee members uh, on these admissions committees, they were in the very same shape. they, didn't do well their freshman year, maybe even their sophomore year. They struggled to 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 you know improve and uh, and so they could relate to that. And I think that's one of the things that the the GPA graph, s- such as what we show in mapped, uh, really helps to visualize that that those trends and the 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 rise and the fall of the GPA, uh, to be able to see it graphically makes a, a huge difference. I think uh, it brings it to life in a way that I think the committee members can really appreciate and uh, and 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 understand in a much more uh, realistic way. Yeah,
0: awesome. So again, <clears throat> what you saw was mapped. I'll show you a little bit more. We do have uh, a coupon code for you. Um, or promo code 30 days free to try at map.com. Normally it's a free two week trial. Uh, Use the 30 days free and you can get a free 30-day trial. And after that, it's $7.99 a month or $79 a year to use MAPT. And and our vision of MAPT is that you are using it from day one. If you're a freshman in college, a sophomore in college, if you're a non-traditional student, as long as you have figured out that you want to go to medical school and in two weeks or three weeks that you want to go to PA school, you should use Mapped today. Uh, it'll track your activities, it'll track your test scores. It'll give you feedback on the data that you are putting into it. It has a customized roadmap specific to your timeline based on when you say you're going to start medical school or PA. school. So that's Mapped. We'll have some more uh, a little bit later as more questions come up that we can show you about Mapped.: huh.
1: Great. <coughs> All right, let's get back to more questions. Got lots.
0: Awesome. How does admissions committees, how do admissions committees look at post just aim for disadvantaged students? I have no idea what that means. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, Omar.
1: Try asking again and we'll see if we can help.
0: Yeah, I don't understand that. Hi, I'm an American studying at an international university. Ugh, it always crushes me when I, when I see I know, this. I uh, I'm a crisis text line volunteer, so I do have clinical experience. However, that's my only option. Will it be enough? So this crisis text line volunteering has kind of shot into the limelight with Covid nineteen because mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of, quote unquote, traditional clinical experiences were canceled. Uh, or just not allowed basically from hospitals and clinical sites, but being a crisis text line volunteer, you're typically at home, you're on the computer, you're responding to text messages coming in from people going through different things in their life. And uh, myself, and I think you as well, Scott are like, I mean, it's, it's, Maybe historically wouldn't have been considered clinical, but that's about as good as you're going to get these days. Um, It's nice that things are opening back up. So hopefully clinical experiences are doing that as well. Mm -hmm. Thoughts on number one, an international student and and letting the student know what those struggles are. um, And then crisis text line volunteering being the only clinical experience here.
2: Yeah, so two things. Uh, the way I read this out, this uh, question, it says it's just an American student mm-hmm. um, studying at an inter- international university, which makes it a little bit difficult in terms of translation of the grading system. Uh, you'll have to jump through some hoops uh, at AMCAS and, and other application services uh, in order to make make it clear what you've done at the international university. In terms of the crisis text line, I, I agree with you completely, Ryan. I think in the past, that would really not have been seen as clinical uh, experience. Uh, but as, with, as, as always, what I would say to this student, to uh, Carson, is, you know, Carson, your question is, if that's your only option, will it be enough? If that's your only option, then you go with it. You know, you don't have an option. To, to do anything else. You go with it and you see what happens in the application process and that's all you can do. Um, you know, once you get back to the, uh, the the states, maybe after you graduate, if you have not gotten into medical school at that point, then you, you may have other options available to you, particularly after the pandemic has subsided uh, and things open up uh, a little bit more for volunteering and shadowing and and other types of clinical experiences. But as it stands right now, what I would say is just, uh, you know, you have to, uh, you have to do the best you can. And and if that's what you can do, then that's what you do. And and you run with it.
0: Yeah. In terms of the 90 hours, which is the kind of rule of thumb hours of U.S. Courses. How does that work for a U.S. student, a U.S. citizen doing international school?
2: It's still, it's still the exact same thing. Uh, yeah. it, it's the school, not the student. Yeah. Uh, it's if the if the student is uh, is studying at an international university, then they'll they'll have to do 90, 90 hours at a uh, at an yeah. American accredited American institution, typically.
0: Yeah. And that varies school to school. So mm-hmm. um just just look. And in yeah. Canada, if, if if your international school is Canada sometimes <laughs> Canada typically is considered a US
2: uh, Yeah, school. that's right. That's right.
0: We uh we aren't super elitist with Canada. Everywhere else, yes. We... <laughs> <laughs> You're muted, oh, Rachel.
1: <laughs> oh, that's fine. I was being snarky anyway. <laughs> I said North American in the most limited and incorrect definition of the word. <laughs> yes.
0: There you go. Right. All right.
1: Next question.
0: Hi, I have a question regarding the screening process at some medical schools. Do some schools screen out based on certain GPA, like 3.0 or MCATs less than X, Y, or Z? Dr. Scott Wright. Um, well, I... I would say
2: this is very school-specific question. Yep. Uh, most schools do have some um, numerical screening methods. They may be very low because, honestly, there will be applications come in with a cumulative GPA of a 1.7 yep. uh, or a 2.1 with no upward trends or anything. Yep present and uh you know so when they when when medical schools get applications like that or you know or maybe they'll get an MCAT score of a you know a a 484 or whatever and uh and and, you know so there has to be at some point some floor uh that says we are not going to go below this floor now there's there's you know so 3.0 GPA you're going to get reviewed at most schools uh, particularly if there's a, an upward trend, uh, if there's you know, some issues there that, that it, it's very clear. Uh, but I, I would say most applications are going to get some level of a, of, a, of a personal review, but there will be some with really low, low, low scores that it, it's just logistically not possible to, to spend a whole lot of time with those applications. Yeah.
1: Uh, Where I'll chime in here because this question always, the comments get flooded with anecdotes. Uh, Anecdotes are exactly what they are, right? They're personal stories. And everybody always has that. Well, I know at this school, this one new admissions advisor says, um, my rule of thumb with these kinds of cutoffs is they're not always public and Mm -hmm. they vary school to school, year to year. Adcom to ad come. So like, I mean, Priya, I definitely respect what you're asking, but the rule of thumb I want to provide to everyone is don't think about it too much. Apply where right. you want to go and be yeah. hopeful yeah. because yeah. even if you're, your friend or someone in this chat is swearing, well, I know for sure at the school in my state that they have a cutoff of 3.0, Maybe when pre-applies next year, that won't be true anymore. Like, yeah. let's not shoot ourselves in the foot. Let's not say no before a med school says no. Now, obviously, money is a factor. So if a school does publicly post a cutoff, you may want to regard yeah. it. But if they don't say, I wouldn't I wouldn't start playing those guessing games.
0: Yeah. I, I want to highlight this, this note from Haley here. Highly recommend MAP mm-hmm. for everyone. It will help you become a lot more organized, too, which will benefit you beyond your application. Thanks, Haley. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. It. Thanks, Haley.
1: And that, since she said that, I'll remind everyone: thirty days free is the code if you want to try Map for a month instead of the regular two weeks.
0: Yep. All right. Let's see what. And next then you team. can come hang out with us every Monday. Yeah. Right? Not just the
1: public ones.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. Non-traditional graduated this year with bachelors in nursing. Will medical schools accept the clinical hours I did in the hospital during my bachelors as clinical experience? Super common question, mm-hmm. uh, and and there's always a lot of fear around. Well, it was part of my school, so does it count? I think mm-hmm. it's great clinical experience. Yep, yep,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I agree. Now the the problem that nursing students typically run into is from a prereq standpoint. Yep, yep. because the nursing school prereqs typically don't meet the qualifications for med school prereqs. So even if you took chemistry, biology, physics, and nursing school, those very likely don't meet the threshold that medical schools want, and you may need to retake those. So that's really the thing to look at.
2: Yeah. This is, this is especially true for any allied health program, whether it's nursing or radiological technician training or whatever. Um, You know, even though you took anatomy and physiology in nursing school or you took micro or whatever, uh, those typically are not going to count toward uh, the prerequisites for medical school. They may not also count toward your science GPA, your BCPM GPA, uh, because they were focused uh, uh, nursing school uh, courses. uh, They they, uh, likely won't uh, count in that mix. Mm -hmm.
0: Be graduating in three years. Perfect person for mapped. But with COVID in my first year, I was unable to do many activities. I'm now a medical assistant and doing research. How would my sophomore and freshman year gap look? I tell most freshmen don't even bother doing activities, just learn how to be a good student first, yep. because there's a yep. big there's a big gap between high school, typically high school. Level work and then college level work and then obviously a much bigger gap between college and medical school. Right. And so the fact that you didn't do anything during freshman years is perfect. It, it worked perfect. Hopefully you learned to be a good student. You mm-hmm. you solidified your study habits and your personal habits and all of those things. And now you're ready to add things on and maintain being a good student. Agreed. All right.
2: Let's see what's next.
0: Hello. Do medical schools view non-traditional applicants differently than traditional applicants? For instance, do they ex- expect more experience from non-traditional applicants?
2: I mean, not in my experience. I think that um, you know what, what they're looking for is the same for everybody. They're looking for a, a, a clear for clear motivation. Uh, they're looking for evidence of that clear motivation through. Uh, and shadowing experiences to clinical experiences that give you a first uh, firsthand uh, understanding of what medical school and what physicians do and what medical school is all about and training physicians and so I don't think that non-traditional applicants are viewed differently in that way. I think that you know uh, sometimes non-traditional students are viewed differently because they're typically not always <clears throat> but they're typically uh, more you know experienced in life and so they have a uh, a maturity to them that gives them you know a deeper perspective on uh, life and on a variety of issues that come up in, in in care of patients but but they're not put in a separate pool they're not viewed separately as as anything other than they're part of the pool of applicants and they're looked at and 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 uh, evaluated based on the the, the uh, you know the, the the best things about their application, about the, the merits of their own particular ap- application.
0: Yeah, and it, in fact, I've had one conversation with a director of admissions at a a school in Florida that's really the opposite of this question. Is they understand that nontraditional students have more. Uh, responsibilities, right, whether it's right. family or work, and, and so they don't expect as much uh, in terms of clinical experiences and volunteering and everything else right. because they understand that it's not just school and experiences like a quote-unquote traditional student or, right. or a majority of potentially of, of traditional students and, and there's being a parent and being a spouse and all the other fun stuff mm-hmm. that comes along with <laughs> adulting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. All to say it's all holistic, right? Holistic after a certain point of meeting um, meeting academic qualifications. Does geographic proximity offer an advantage when applying to private schools that have no state preference? That's such a depends on the school question.
2: Yeah, it does really depend on the school. I think that, uh, you know... My sense is that no, not necessarily. Um, you know, we, we, we uh, the schools are looking to fill their classes and uh, and they're evaluating applicants uh, based on their the merit of their application. Now, in, in a very specific situation, if you're on the waiting list at the end of the cycle and the place comes open in the class, then proximity may well play into that. Okay, they're in our own city. We're looking to fill this place. We'll pick this one because they're here already. Yeah, uh, I've had that happen before, uh, where uh, where we needed to fill a, an, a slot at the last minute, and proximity became very important at that at that time. Yeah, but typically, I would say not so much.
1: All right. <laughs> Uh, I posted this, but friendly reminder, 200 character max. Some of you guys are writing multi-part questions <laughs> and I respect why you're doing it, but you, you got to get to your meat sooner so we can show it to the audience. In the meantime, here's a lovely short one.
0: How do medical schools view prereqs taken at community college when enrolled in a four-year university? Uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. So this yes. is, this is a twist on the normal question. Yes. Of can I do prereqs at community college? Yes. But this is a hey. I'm at a four year university. I want to go take prereqs. Let's let's assume this isn't home during summer vacation, and this right. is during normal semester. Well,
2: yeah, I would say not a good idea. Number one, uh, not a good idea. Even if you're trying to pull in classes while you're home uh, during the summer. Uh, even at that point, don't take prerequisite courses. If you're going to take courses in the summer or if you're going to take courses at community college outside of your main institution, take non-prereq, non-science courses, electives that will fit, uh, et cetera. But I would say you want the prereqs and you want most of the science courses that you're taking at your home institution not at a not at a community college that that's not not a good idea
0: and and why is it not a good idea so i mean this
2: this fits into the notion whether you agree with it or not is the notion is that community college is going to be an easier track than than the four-year institution yep. now that's debatable but it's reality in terms of how the medical schools admissions committees view this especially in a circumstance where you're at a four-year institution you're taking classes you're a student there and then you backtrack to the community college to take prerequisite courses I, I would not recommend this at all
0: yeah it's all perception whether it's yep. true or not it's perception and right. unfortunately that's the way it is yep. and it's a different story than you go to community college for your first two years and then you transfer to right. a four-year university. Yes, very different.
2: Mm-hmm. That's right. One
0: okay. looks like you're running away from hard classes and the other one looks like you're saving money on a normal path. That's right. <laughs> All good, perception.
2: Good question. That was a good question.
0: Can you elaborate on getting a paid job in research versus clinical during gap years? I want to focus on research so I could use it in the future potentially, but I'd like to do volunteering and shadowing.
2: Well, <clears throat> my my feeling about this question is: why is it an either or? Yep. you know, I, I think you need to be, you need to consider that it, it, this is a, a both, not an either or. Get a job. Uh, doing research and then on the, in, on the weekends or in your evenings, or when you can, when you can, uh, mix it into, to the, to things, then, then you can do volunteering and shadowing. Uh, but I, I don't think you view this as an either, or I think it has to be an, uh, an and yeah,
0: do it all. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure the the big dilemma there. And then, if you get clinical research, hey, yeah, that is doing it all, all in one. Right? Can you elaborate on how SMPS are looked at by adcoms, and do they carry significant weight depending on how well you do? Do they replace undergraduate grades? So, I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this with the far majority of questions that you are gonna ask. The answer, unfortunately, is it depends. It depends on the medical school. Every medical school admissions committee is going to have a different algorithm in, in terms of how they're going to look at your GPA, your undergraduate GPA, your undergraduate postback GPA, your SMP work, your your other kind of traditional graduate coursework. Does it does a 4.0 and an SMP replace a 2.0 undergraduate GPA? The answer is it depends. It depends. And unfortunately that's the answer because there are roughly 200 medical schools in this country Mm -hmm. and 200 different sets of committees made up of multiple people making these decisions, figuring out what is best for them for their school. Yep.
2: That's exactly right. And, And you know, the, the issue with the s which, which stands for Special Master's Program, if you don't know that already, uh, is that they, they could carry significant weight, uh, depending on how well you do. Uh, yes. Um, however, uh, it depends a little bit. I, in my estimation, it depends on the experience that the, that the medical school has had with that particular program. Uh, if they've had students come from that program uh, that have done well, then then that's going to be a good thing for for you in, in terms of that special master's program. So it does. It, it depends on a lot of different factors as as to how how that may play into uh, your uh, uh, the decisions related to your uh, application.
1: Okay.
0: Ahmad says, will a D in general biology two be an issue to get into medical school? Mm. Well, a D is not passing. It's typically passing for your institution, uh, but But C minus or lower is typically not passing for medical school. So you'll need to retake it uh, and just continue to do well. One bad grade, two bad grades, three bad grades typically won't kill you in the end as long as you are showing that, those early, hopefully early, bad grades uh, were a fluke and just some some learning pains, some homesickness, whatever it may be. And now you've learned how to be more organized, be a better mm-hmm. student and studier and all that fun stuff.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the real key, Ryan, to, to this whole question is there has to be some deep reflection here as to why you made a D in general biology, too. Yeah. Uh, th- there needs to be some understanding and recognition of what happened and how you're going to uh, move forward and improve your study habits, improve your ability to, uh, to focus in the classroom or engage or whatever whatever your issues were, uh, you need to do some deep reflection on, on why that occurred and, and how you avoid that.
0: Yeah, and, and speaking of reflection, I hear a lot from students, and this question comes up a lot because a lot of secondary essays will ask if you've received less than a B minus or less than a C or worse on a, on a course, tell us about it, what happened. And that reflection is important. And i talk talked to a lot of students who are working on their application and they go, I don't remember what I did two years ago, what I did three years ago when it, they're working on their activities. And so we've purposefully built into maps because we believe that your application is so much more than your stats. It's about who you are and how you're reflecting on your journey That everywhere in the application, you have the ability, as I click into a course here, you have the ability to add some reflection. And so, if Uh this was a bad grade, then reflect on it, right? What happened here? If it's a good grade, reflect on it. What happened here? Um, Same thing with your MCAT scores. When when you're taking an MCAT practice test, reflect on it. I woke up pissed off for some reason I had bad dreams I had a nightmare whatever Um, reflect on it so that you can keep track of everything that you're doing and it'd be fun to add little emojis next to this too at at a glance see that Um, and so reflection is a huge part of your journey we have your activity tracking in here as well and so on a weekly basis on a daily basis come in here add your dates add your hours uh, we'll keep track of all of that so that you don't have to. And then reflect, well, what did this mean to you? What did the day mean to you? What did the week mean to you? Mm-hmm. And, and really ask yourself those hard questions. So then when it comes time to applying, and we have a whole application kind of simulator in here, when it comes time to applying, when you're working on your, your work and activity section and you come here to a new draft and... You go, oh, this is for whatever activity, my EMT activity, then you can you can go back and we'll add some better abilities to look at what you've written before. Uh, that's not in here yet, but you can you can reflect on all of that. And again, 30-day free trial, uh, 30 days free at mapped.com. Indeed. All right. Let's see what's next. <clears throat> I'm currently working on my secondaries and was hoping to get some guidance on a failure question. Should I write about academics? Ah, so I talk about this a lot. Um, yep. Scott, is, is in my mind, the recommendation that I typically give is when you're asked about failures, uh, don't talk about academics. Don't right. talk about the MCAT. Because what right. they're looking for is personal growth. and And academics is, I failed the class. I retook it. I did better. Right, and there's, it's, there's just not a, in in my right. mind, a lot of personal growth. What they're looking to get out of that answer, versus failing a friendship, failing whatever, mm-hmm. being a good human being for a split second, whatever that looks like mm-hmm. to you, and then how did you grow as a human being from mm-hmm.
2: that? Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think, I think they're not looking for necessarily academics there, as you described, uh, a failing grade or. I didn't get into test. med school. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> what they're looking for is personal growth. Uh what 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 has happened to me in my life and what challenges have I faced? What failures have I incurred and uh and what have I done to overcome uh those personal failures? And uh and, and, you know, I, I think that this is what they're wanting to know. They're, they're looking deeper into you as a human being. I mean, students constantly say, I don't want it to be all about numbers. I don't want it to be all about GPA. And and here's an opportunity to talk about more than numbers. And what do students want to do? They want to talk about numbers. <laughs> yeah. Don't talk about numbers here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I had a good conversation with uh, a director of admissions at a a Northeastern medical school. I'll I'll leave the name out of it um, at that conference that you and I met at, Scott, Mm -hmm. um, in Mm -hmm. Toronto. And it really was a, a question of if I have two students with similar stats, I'm looking at all of the intangibles beyond that. What have they shown me in terms of resilience? And this is where a failure question potentially comes in. And if one student, and this kind of borders on, I, I talk frequently about trauma porn and, and how far is too far with some of these questions. Um, but if if one student says, hey, look, I, I am an immigrant to this country. We had ten family members living in a, in a one bedroom house, or whatever, and, and that's not specifically a failure type response, but just adversity in general, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the other student says, "Well, I lost my state championship hockey game." I'm like, mm-hmm. one potentially shows, "Hey, this student's been through the ringer already," right? And and my hope is that once they get to medical school and they hit a wall cause everyone hits a wall in medical school because it's, it's hard that they've shown me already through some of these stories that they're writing about in their secondary that I, it gives me confidence that they're going to be able to be resilient again. Yeah. Right. And, and a story about losing a hockey game or yeah. getting a, a D in a class or an F in a class. It's like, well, is that really resilience that I can bet on in the future? Right. That's right.
1: Um, I agree with everything you said. I also sort of uh, feel I've mixed emotions around this question. I mean, the example you just gave is perfect um, in terms of hardship is different depending on how, how lucky your life is. Yeah. Um, if you are someone who is privileged by however you define privilege and you haven't had those kinds of hardships, it doesn't mean you can't get in. Right. Um, but um when we talk about intangibles, that's the kind of stuff that does matter is, Mm -hmm. it's not that someone's being rewarded for having had trauma, it's that they've proven that they already know how to overcome it. Um, And if you've been lucky enough that you haven't had a lot of trauma to overcome, like without trying to be a bummer, like don't worry, it's coming. Everyone don't always... don't go
0: chasing it. <laughs> yeah, everyone everyone's gonna get some eventually. Um, <laughs> some some more than others. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, but um, and and some that's invisible. You know, yeah, sometimes yeah. people who might look privileged by however you define privilege might be carrying some burdens that aren't obvious, right? You so it's not that, a good yeah. idea to start playing that comparison game, um, right? But yeah, what I would what I guess I would say to someone in that position, because, you know, like when Ryan was saying that, I thought, you know, is there someone out there who's hardest sinking, thinking, am I in trouble now because I've been blessed with a great life? No. Um, make sure you're getting your clinical. Make sure yep. you're not just trying to rely on your stats. Right? right. Prove that you are up for the experiences that are coming. That's right. um, but but yeah, don't don't sweat it. I mean, and may, maybe go thank the people that raised you if you've been that lucky.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, all right, let's move on to the next one. I just wanted to pause there, and w- we addition. love everybody—not not just the people <laughs> who've been through hardships. I wanted to yeah. make sure to hit that point. All right, this is a common one.
0: Would an MCAT retake in August be too late for this cycle if everything else is good? Oops, Marlon. Um, can, can I give my timeline spiel? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I need to do a blog post on this because I I give this spiel like twice a week. Normal time frame for an application, right? Applications open up in May. TMDSAS, you could submit May 17th this year. Mm A COMIS you can submit immediately. And AMCAS, you have to wait typically until the end of May, beginning of June. Historically, we say June 1st, submission date for, for AMCAS. Now, TMDSAS has a processing delay of a week, two, maybe more, depending on the volume of applications that are coming in before school's see that application. Uh, a comis typically has a very fast verification process. I, I got a message this morning from a student in, on Instagram saying, my application was verified in five days, including the weekend, is that normal? I'm like, yep, that's a comus. They, they're pretty quick. Uh, AMCAS is the outlier that they typically take for sometimes up to eight weeks, depending on the time of the cycle. Medical schools will start to see applications, again, TMDSAS, kind of end of Mayish, and a comus mid-june Amcas end of june is when they start to see those applications when they're first available to the schools in the application cycle and then the schools will send out secondary essays uh, secondary applications to students for the far majority of students it's automatic no screening no no verification of stats or anything students get secondary essays applications, the students send those in we say, Hey, it's about two weeks, maybe turnaround time. You're looking at the end of June-ish, roughly. TMDSAS is a little bit earlier in terms of timeline. ACOMIS is a little bit earlier, uh, a little bit later than TMDSAS, but a little bit earlier than AMCAS in terms of timeline. But let's talk AMCAS because that's the far majority of students applying to medical school. Medical school's can historically start to get applications back kind of beginning of july right uh, maybe very tail end of june beginning of july they're starting to get applications the secondaries in now the question is are the letters of rec in is your mcat in and is the admissions committee ready to start reviewing applications scott's what what's happening end of june beginning of july the, the prior yeah, bring, cycle,
2: yeah right. they're bringing in the, the current class
0: yeah the prior cycle yep. is is now matriculating yep. and you're getting last minute dropouts because a student is like oh never mind i want to start next year i want to defer can you do that oh i got my dream offer uh, acceptance uh two days after their school started, I'm bailing on you. See you later. And so the admissions committee is busy filling in backfilling these last minute spots. And what's the last thing they want to do typically is go right into another application cycle. So they go, okay, okay, this is our vacation time. We're going to put our feet up for a week or two. And so you're looking kind of mid to late July, beginning of August, by the time schools are like raring to go in terms of the next application cycle, And so when we talk about MCAT timelines, if you take it at the end of June, you get your score back end of July. That's kind of when admissions committees are ramping up for the next application cycle anyway. And so if you add more time onto that, that's just a matter of your comfort level with rolling admissions, knowing that the later you wait, the less Interview spots are available, mm-hmm. and so can you take the MCAT in September, get your score in October, be interviewed, and accepted to medical school. Absolutely. Yep. It's it's not ideal. <laughs> it's not recommended, but it happens. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so the the longer and longer you wait, the the I would say the less your chances are, and you should take the MCAT when you're ready. Yes.
2: It's always that. Particularly when it comes to the MCAT, it's always that balancing issue between: Am I ready to take it, and the timing of the application, and when yeah. it's going to be complete? So you want to you want to balance those two out so that uh, you know you you you're able to 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 meet your goals. But yeah, absolutely, Ryan, I agree completely with your your timeline.
0: All right. Again, just a, re- a reminder for people watching on Instagram. I'm not looking at you. I'm not looking at your questions. Come over to, to mapped.tv and ask on YouTube. That's where we're pulling questions. Yep, we got a lot there. All I have right. to turn my head sideways to look at those questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Carrie asks, if I list a physician I shadowed in my activities, is it okay to mention their name in my personal statement when I explain my shadowing experience? Sure.
2: I think it's great to do that. I think it personalizes it, and you know, I, I get a lot of uh, personal statements where they say "Dr. L" or "Dr. S" or "Dr. G" yeah. or whatever. And there's, I think it's it's this concern about HIPAA and and privacy laws and, yeah. and and you know stuff like that. And I get it completely, but you know, my recommendation is you want to personalize the the experience that you've had. So use the doctor's first name and. And if you're going to talk about a patient in the patient's story, make up a name and just say, I'm going to call this patient, you know, John
0: or yeah. Sarah or whatever. Yeah. I, I typically recommend give, give a pseudonym, right? A fake name and just put it in quotes the first time you yeah. use it. Yeah. Just to make it known. HIPAA is a, a, a wonderful thing. Doctors don't fall under HIPAA. Uh, you mentioning the, the doctor, it's, it's the patient that falls under yeah. HIPAA. So that's right. Um, and, and be careful. Even if you're not mentioning a patient's name, if, if I can figure out from reading what you're talking about who the patient is, that's still a HIPAA violation. So I, I gave an example once of a student talking about being on like the athletic training team at their university and their star quarterback tearing their ACL at a very specific rival game. And I just Googled it real quick. I'm like, oh, this is the patient. And they're like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, don't do that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh people can find anything
0: yeah and, and that's big for all of you watching in the future don't don't take pictures of funky um x-rays and ct scans and post them on the internet because if a patient can go hey wait a minute that's what i swallowed or that's what i stuck yeah. up in a place that doesn't belong that's me <laughs> that's a hipaa violation
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> You'd be surprised, Dr. Wright.
2: I a TMI, TMI.
0: <laughs> Katie asks, I was born in Texas, but currently live in Georgia. I still have family in Texas, and I'm curious if that would be considered strong enough ties to apply. Dr. Scott Wright, Texas expert.
2: Well, uh, so it depends a little bit, but my sense from the question is that, no, you would not be considered a Texas resident. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would be considered a Georgia resident, and uh, so you're the... The difficulty in applying in Texas is going to be going to be more uh, extreme for for a non-resident, because if you're if you're not from Texas, then you're not from Texas. So uh, so generally speaking, when you leave the state for something other than um, educational purposes, then you lose your residency at that point. So it depends a little bit. It says I was born in Texas, but currently live in Georgia. So Katie, it depends a little bit on why you're living in Georgia. If you are in Georgia just to go to school and then you plan to return to Texas, then absolutely you're a Texas resident. Uh, You don't lose your residency because you left the state to go to school somewhere else. Uh, But so, you know, it depends a little bit, but, uh, but I would say, uh, I would need to know a little bit more about the circumstances for you leaving the state to to, to make a judgment about that.
0: Oh lovely Texas laws. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I mean this comes up a lot, and I think so. There's this idea there that there's Texas ties, and people think like I spent my summers there, or my uncle's there. No. Um, and you know, Scott, you chime in here because again, you're the expert. But my understanding is the state thing is about state law funding. So when we talk about Texas ties, what we're saying is, does your tax money or your parents' tax money go to the state of Texas? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is no, mm-hmm. that's not the kind of tie they're looking for.
2: Yeah, it's it's about domicile. Uh, the, 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 the thrust of the law in Texas is about where is your domicile? Where do you live? And where are you established in your living arrangement. Uh, they're going to look at things like, do you have a driver's license? Are you registered to vote? Do you have, do you pay, um, utility bills in Texas? Uh, do you, are you domiciled for the purposes of living in Texas? Uh, that's what they're really looking at. And, uh, that's what they're going to base the judgment on about whether or not you're a Texas resident.
0: Yeah. And again, this is an every school is different. Mm-hmm. There are some schools that if you're not a resident of that state, uh, and most schools will ask, like, why do you want to come here? Um, I, I always give an example. And this is, again, a very anecdotal of a student who is a Canadian resident applying to the University of Kentucky, which is a public state school that's very in-state friendly. And and in their secondary, because she was an out-of-state resident a, and a Canadian resident, they said, like, why are you applying here? And she said, well, my uncle lives in Kentucky and we go there every summer. And she got an interview. Yeah. So it, it it's going to depend on the school. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> Ooh, here's one I like.
0: Matthew asks, "I am beginning to pre-write my secondaries. What method for pre-writing uh, What method for pre-writing would be most fruitful? Doing secondaries for my top schools based on deadlines or most generic to most school-specific. Thanks. Hmm. So I have a very specific recommendation. Scott, I don't know. I don't think we've talked about this to see what your take is. I typically don't recommend writing generic secondary prompts of like a very common prompt is talk about your diversity. A very generic prompt is tell me a time you failed or whatever. Mm -hmm. I recommend answering the freaking questions (laughs) on there because every school is going to have a little bit of a twist. They're going to have different character counts or word counts or whatever it is. I think it's a waste of time. Other than being able to to think through it, right? To write a generic one, and then go and try to, to match it. To yeah, I right, yeah, right, I one for one school and then go. Yeah, I agree with that completely.
2: I think you're right, and and I think I think the confusion here is that it's often the case that once you've done two or three or four secondaries, then you essentially have a lot of information that you're going to be able to put into answers on other secondaries yep. and so it but it, that's different that's a different thing than what you're talking about Ryan where where you sort of write a generic um, uh, 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 answer to the uh, to a sort of common question and then try to fit it into that school's uh, secondary uh, it's it's really the opposite of that you focus on, the specifics of the institution that you're applying to. And then what you're going to see is down the road, oh, I, I, I can use a lot of this language that I used here in, in, in answering another question at another school.
0: Yes. Uh, secondary essays at secondaryapps.com. The far majority of schools don't change their essays from year to year. Uh, and so go and look at our library over at secondaryapps.com. Yep.
1: So getting back to the, to Matthew's question. So we sort of said, we think you should do it by the school. Yep. The other kind of part of his question is sequencing. Right. Um, now, uh, deadlines don't really apply in secondaries, I think in a traditional way, right? It's more about the sooner you get them back. Um,
0: mm-hmm. some, so some if, schools will have deadlines, but mm-hmm. it's, it's less, um, uh of a thing
1: right yeah. um so so matthew you had said doing secondaries for my top schools i mean yeah given that we're saying do them by school you may want to start with the schools that matter to you most since you're still pre-writing once you're yeah. getting them back then then yeah it's kind of about turning around your most favorite fastest yeah. <laughs> but yeah in yeah. the pre-writing yeah i would i would do the schools that you really care about first yeah well, you probably care about them all but you know <laughs> your favoriteist. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's one.
0: I was on academic probation for a semester or two. <laughs> Which one was it? <laughs> nah. it's probably two, maybe three uh, students. <laughs> and I'm worried about it on my record. Does it count as institutional action on the AMCAS application? Absolutely. Yes, it yes, does. It does. Yeah. That's okay. It's, it's not a... Again, I understand the fear of red flags and it, it looks bad, but... It's, it goes back to what you were talking about earlier, Scott, is reflection. What happened? Yep. Why, yep. why did it happen? What did you learn from it? How did you move on? And then actions are going to speak louder than words. What do the rest of your classes look like? Yep. Post-probation. Yep. Exactly. Yep yeah ac- academic probations later in an academic career are much more harmful and partic- potentially need to uh, uh this, the student needs to go do a post back or something to to show um that uh, the the cliche <laughs> time heals all wounds yeah um so yeah How strict is the English requirement for most med schools? Can a literature class cover the English requirement?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, there's a lot of things that can cover the English requirement. Uh, writing intensive courses in in other departments can often at many med schools cover the English requirement. So, yeah, you don't have it doesn't have to be grammar or whatever. It can be yeah. a lit class or. A, or a, writing intensive honors class or whatever some, something like that. Yeah,
1: uh, currently for mapped we're doing a rescrub of our med school database both to make sure everything we have is current but also expand. And one of the things we've been trying to review and standardize is requirements and the most again, you know, varies med school to med school but the most common language that med schools use is not the word English, but the word writing intensive. Right. So, yeah. I mean, some literature classes are more about reading and discussing, but presumably your literature class is a lot of writing. That's, yeah. that's usually the case. That's what you're looking for is something that shows that it was a writing intensive course.
0: Yeah.
1: Avocado has a question.
0: Mm-hmm. Ooh, I love, I love it. some avocado. It <laughs> it's so sad. I I grew up in Southern California, and our neighbors had a beautiful avocado tree that that overhung our driveway and dropped avocados. And I didn't eat avocados when I was a kid. It was no, oh, you missed I, it I out. Didn't, I didn't develop that palate until later in life, but. I'm yeah. making up for it now. Uh, is research experience necessary if I have over 5,000 hours of clinical experience? Is so
1: research this, experience necessary? Question mark. Full <laughs> yeah, stop. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, this comes uh, back to a very common uh, kind of algorithm that students try to, to to put together of, if I have this, I don't need this. If I have that, then I don't need that. If I have this, then I need less of that. If my GP is this, I don't need this MCAT. I. And and yeah. it's just like where are you getting this from? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It doesn't uh, it doesn't really work that way. Is research experience necessary? Question mark As you put it, uh, Rachel. And no, the answer is no. At, at the majority of medical schools, research is not is not a necessary component of, an a, of a successful application. Uh, you know. Now the problem is, I think, as Ryan you indicated, is that this smacks of you know checkboxing. Uh, You know, I oh, I got, I got this. So I checked that box. I checked this box, but I don't have to check this box if this two boxes are checked yeah. or whatever, whatever, whatever. And uh, don't don't get into that, that playing of that game.
0: Yep. Yep
1: uh speaking of game playing no disrespect to this person but it's probably time to talk about how stats don't matter as much as you think
0: <laughs> it's, it's another welcome to another round of stats don't matter. brought to you by Frank I think
1: I even have a banner let me see if I can find it Ryan while you're starting to answer this Frank asks
0: I have a 4.0 GPA congrats and a a 506 MCAT congrats oh wait where'd it go I lost the question
1: (laughs) because I was so busy showing my banner there we go
0: when I look at the MSR and the range of MCAT for accepted students, I'm wondering if I am competitive. Yeah, a five hundred six. Yeah. If you look at the MSR y- you'll go hide in the corner and cry because the MSR makes it look like everyone has a five sixteen and above. Yeah, uh, and it's just super sad. Um, the average, the average for matriculants into medical school, uh, I, actually. I'll change that language. I, I think it's accepted students to medical school, not matriculants to medical school. Um, for AMCAS, is a five eleven point four, I believe. Mm-hmm. TMDSAS is right around the same spot, mm-hmm. and a COMIS is about a five hundred four plus, plus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. A 5.06 is not that far from a 5.11. And if that's the average, well, guess how you get an average? You get scores less than that. You get scores higher than that. And they uh, all average together.
2: That's right. So I would encourage Frank to apply, definitely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The answer is always a higher MCAT score helps. A higher GPA helps. Um, but yeah, don't don't look at stats because they can get scary. Yeah. And obviously, with some good self-reflection and self-awareness to know, Scott, like you mentioned, a 1.9 and a 480 on your MCAT, not going to do it. Right. right. But a 506, <clears throat> contrary to uh, what a lot of people say is, is decent score.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: It's higher than I got. <laughs> <laughs> and I applied to med school with 89 credits completed, even though it's not a bachelor's degree yet. Yeah, so there's a lot of misconception out there that you have to have all of your prereqs, you have to have your degree. Uh, you, for the far majority of medical schools, you do a bachelor isn't a requirement. It's just kind of standard of what students do. Um, and it's, it's standard for traditional students to apply without their degree. They're, they're applying at the end of their junior year, um, going right. into the fall of their senior year, not having a degree. Right,
2: right. Yep. Normal, normal. Now, having said that, it is also uh, very typical that students will get their degree before they matriculate. Yep. And so uh, med schools do ask the question, are you planning to get the degree? And if you say yes, and then you don't follow through with that, that can be problematic. Yes. So And
0: an acceptance isn't an invitation to slack off and party the rest of your college. Correct. Oh,
2: That's yeah. correct. Yeah, we've all
1: we've all got our stories of people we've seen get accepted and then turned away for failing to fall through. Yeah. So don't don't be that. Be not so stupid.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: all right. Uh, I'm going to pick one of these. I'm seeing a lot of questions about the importance of testing. So I'm going to just pick one of them to kind of represent everybody.
0: With step going past no pass, and many schools last cycle not even looking at MCAT, do you believe that stats will become less and less important in admissions? So I'll give you my hope. (laughs) My hope is that in four years uh, or five years, we get some data from some of these schools that ultimately did accept some students without an MCAT, and uh, we'll get some data that I will think that, that I am predicting will show that there's no difference in how they performed in medical school with mm-hmm. how they performed on step one and step two. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately that the pass no pass is uh, more for residency and not necessarily medical school admissions for step one going past no pass mm-hmm. um, for residency. My assumption is that all of the weight is just going to shift, shift to step two right um because that is still scored now right. why they kept step 2 scored and step 1 is pass no pass i i think they're just um <laughs> kind of um bowing down to pressure from students um to to put step 1 pass no pass and if they were true in what they were doing they would have made it all uh pass mm-hmm. no pass but
2: yep. yeah kind of, I, I would story. also hasten to add that I don't agree necessarily with part of this question. The, yeah. the, the question says, and many schools last cycle, not even looking at MCAT. I don't agree with that. Right. Uh, I don't think that there were, I think there were some schools who agreed not to require MCAT just because they didn't require an MCAT didn't mean they didn't look at it. And, uh, and, and so I, I don't, I don't agree with uh, that, Component of this question, I think schools still found the MCAT important and part of the process. Now, will it change in the future? As Ryan has indicated, you know, potentially yes. Uh, but under the current system, under the current structure of uh, of, of things in the United States, MCAT scores are going to be required and they're going to be looked at and they're going to have a, a weight in the process yep. for the foreseeable future.
1: Um, yeah, and this has been a big question in other areas of education and career, right? Like SAT and ACT are going away in California. Um, Standardized tests are not perfect, right? Inherently by them being standardized and humans are not standardized, there's always going to be a problem. But for any educational career, particularly one that isn't as a where it's important that the quality is high, you know, with doctors, it's so important that we have really well-trained doctors, some form of high pressure, high stakes testing will always exist. Um, So, you know, if step goes to pass, fail, if MCAT starts to play a smaller role, something's going to come forward instead. Um, So I would just say for anyone listening, um, make your peace with it because testing is part of your life.
0: Mm-hmm. The testing is part of your life <laughs> for good <laughs> or bad it is
1: mm-hmm. Le- learn to do some breathing stay cool
0: <laughs> some lamas.
1: <laughs> obviously I meant meditative breathing oh, So Lamaze is a form of that actually <laughs> alright uh, good question from Allie
0: if I have a large chunk of clinical volunteer hours at one place, 2,300 plus hours, do I need to leave and find another place to diversify? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah, that is awesome. yeah. I mean, I
1: understand where that question is asked, right? Because we have had a couple instances where someone has had clinical experience that was highly specialized. Um, so, I don't know, if all of your hours were with an ophthalmologist, for example, you might want to consider getting something that's a little bit more general. Um, But having 2,000 plus hours is excellent. I mean, that's that's fabulous. You've been really putting in the time. Yeah. All right. Here's a quick technical one.
0: My particular program grades differently. Normally, a 90 is an A minus, but for me, it's a B plus. Is there a way for me to change or explain this when I turn my transcripts into Amcas.
1: so here's the good news this is the one case where Amcas takes care of you (laughs) Uh, they know what schools you go to they know what the grading skills are so you enter it just like it's on your transcript Um, and this is actually something on mapped that we're working Mm -hmm. on we Mm -hmm. have the ability to convert your grades into all three applications if you're using
0: letters pause pause for one second what you said there contradicts what you said. If, right. you, if, if this student enters it exactly as their transcript, their transcript says B+, plus, but it should be an A-. Minus. Uh,
1: oh, I thought they were saying 90, like they're on a 0 to 100 scale.
0: No, I I, I think- read that as I'm on a
1: 0 to 100 scale. They're saying that's a B yeah. plus. Then, yeah, they enter it. Then they enter it as a B plus.
0: Yeah.
2: They enter it, whatever's on their transcript. Is what
1: exactly.
0: Yeah. So, so... If you Google AMCAS grade conversion, AMCAS mm-hmm. has a whole worksheet yep. that says if you're in this grading scale, do this. If you're this grading scale, do this. If, but if if your grade is B plus, your grade is a B plus. Yeah, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah, I read that as I'm on a zero to one hundred scale. Yeah, I got it. But yeah, the rule of thumb is regardless of your grading scale, just enter what's on your transcript. Yeah. That's um, right. What I was starting to say is, in Mapped, we can't yet accommodate zero to one hundred, hmm. so we help you convert those. Um, but that's coming; it's on the to-do list. Yeah. Um, okay.
0: Let <laughs> me let me show Mapped real quick how how students can enter in um, their courses. So, in Mapped, when you come to your courses and you add a new course. Let's say you can see that it's kind of pre-filled with some of these things. You see Riverside, winter, 2017, 18. So, this was the last course that I entered were, were these uh, pieces. So, uh, it keeps that. And then let's say I took biochem. So, I start typing biochem and I find uh, biochemistry of macromolecules. Yeah, that looks right. Uh, and then what you'll see is it will auto-check... Um, that it fulfills a prereq for biochemistry and that it fulfills my science GPA for AMCAS. It fills science GPA for DO and it fills the science GPA for Texas. This is always a big question that students have is what classes count as what on your application. You have to kind of self-select these things and then AMCAS will adjudicate that and agree or disagree in any way. Um, And so let me just show you an example. If I do... Uh, Calculus. Um, So if I do Calculus here, you will then see that the prereq changes to math. My science GPA stays for AMCAS, because math, the M, counts there. It goes away for the DO application, because math doesn't count as a science course on the DO application, and it still counts as Texas. And so uh, this is how you enter your your grades inside of math. And if you enter something like A C minus, let's do a C minus here. Uh, Let's say I got four credits uh, and I click save. What you will see is um, once I close that, now go find my calculus course. You will see that there is kind of a little warning here that says, hey, your grade may not fulfill this prereq if you're counting on it because a C minus doesn't fulfill prereqs for most schools. So we, we add a little bit of logic in there. It's not just a spreadsheet to track everything. We also give you feedback on what you're putting into mapped. So that's how you enter courses.
1: Great. Uh, and then as a reminder, uh, if you use code 30 days free, uh, normally at MAPT, we offer a 14-day, a two-week free trial. But using that code, you can get 30 days free. Um, you do not have to enter a credit card. Um, You can, but you don't have to. Um, So no credit card, no obligation. Also, a couple people said, how do I get my question answered? If you're typing into YouTube, we're going to see your question. It's just that there are more than 200 of you and lots of people answering answering repeated questions. I am trying to pick fresh people each time. But even with us doing 90 minutes today instead of the normal 45, we just may not get to all of you. Um, But we'll we'll keep tracking.
0: Yep. Just keep okay. tracking. And and one one easy way, Rachel, I don't know if you do this, but one easy way for me to ignore a question is if you just question spam and just ask the same question over and over again. Where
1: If I see you ask a few times throughout the hour, I might think you forgot. If I see you do it repeatedly, I'm just going to put you in timeout or block you because <laughs> I can't have you cluttering up my view. <laughs> like I, just, I need to be able to see everybody else's questions.
0: Banhammer! Uh, <laughs>
1: I know with the apple cheeks, people think I'm sweet. I don't know why. It's uh, totally not correct. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey,
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm the nice more guy questions. here. I'm the nice guy here. So, as his nose grows. <laughs>
1: okay, here's a really good one from Danielle.
0: Danielle, technically I'm a reapplicant since I applied to one school last year for schools that ask, have you previously applied to medical school? How do you recommend answering? Is it an automatic red flag? Uh, you answer the truth that you applied to medical school and no, it's not an automatic red flag. No, 60% of students, right, I, I think more closer to 50% when you add in the three application services, 50% of students don't get into medical school the first time. And if yeah. they want to go to medical school, they reapply. All right. So all right. Um, there, there's always kind of a, a bastardization, if, if that's a, a good word to use, uh, of the data that the AMC puts out about reapplicant acceptance rates. Re-applicant acceptance rates are terrible. And students translate that to mean being a reapplicant is bad. And you can't you can't determine that from a number. You you don't know what caused that re-applicant to not get into medical school that next time they applied. It's not, you can't, you can't just assume that it's because they're re-applicant. My hypothesis is they were terrible applicants the first time. They didn't do any self-reflection. They didn't ask any questions about how to fix their application. And they applied with the, the same crappy application the second time. Uh, mm-hmm. And so you got to do some deep work on why you didn't get in the first time. The medical schools will ask you that of kind of what did you change if you're a reapplicant applicant um, to see if you've done that reflection and work.
1: Yeah, yeah uh, I have a banner for this one, too. <clears throat> Correlation is not causation.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, somebody in the pre-med hangout was saying that um, they had some professors send them I think one of those like passive aggressive notes that maybe was supposed to be helpful or maybe was supposed to be disheartening. And he cited some fact without giving the source about low acceptance rate for people over 40.
0: Oh, I saw that. You know? I, I, just, I mean, it just burns me.
1: Luckily that person was also burned. So as opposed to disheartened was, was correctly angry. That was the right response on her part. But um, yeah, I mean- people over 40 might not have good pre-med advising <laughs> um, yeah. it, like it lies lies and darn statistics, you know, I mean, yep. just <clears throat> got to be really careful.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm going to send that <sighs> screenshot to, to our, our friend at that organization.
1: Yeah. Good. All right. Uh, oh, this is a good one. Tough, tough situation.
0: As someone who lives in a state with no medical schools, move, uh, do state medical schools <laughs> look on your application differently since you don't have any, quote, in-state advantage in your home state? Well, there are some uh, kind of reciprocal, uh, mm-hmm. reciprocity rules. Yeah. Uh, University of Washington is the biggest known one with their, as, as far as I know, with WHAMI, uh, which stands for... Western something, something. It's like Washington, Alaska, Idaho, Montana, Montana um, yeah. and, and one other one. I think maybe Wyoming, maybe. Uh, oh, yeah. Maybe that's the W Wyoming. Um, anyway, uh, so so they look at those states and they understand, <clears throat> hey, these states are underserved by medical schools. We understand that they still need students, and so they have a very specific program where students can do some of their training in their home state, but they're officially University of Washington students. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a matter of what state are you in? What are the states around you? And and reach out to them and say, hey, do you have any sort of um, uh, reciprocity understanding? Whatever, do you look at me differently because because I'm a an orphan over here? All right.
2: Yeah, I think
1: sometimes that even happens um, just for parts of state, right? Doesn't El Paso have a little reciprocity with just a little bit of New Mexico? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so sometimes just those border counties will get to be counted.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. All right. What is some advice you have for an incoming sophomore in university? Number one, sign up for MAPT. Yep. Uh, number two, hopefully you have already proven that you are a good, strong student. You've done well in your classes and number three, go out and start adding on some activities onto your plate and as much as you can handle, um, add slowly <laughs> tight, titrate up as they say in the chemistry lab and, uh, and, and just continue kicking butt. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Grades and clinical learning, remembering you're going to need it again on the MCAT. So not yeah. just the A, but the learning. Deep learning.
0: Yep. Yeah. That, that's a that's a strong that's an important one. A lot of students just go and get the A and they don't actually learn the material. And guess what? That's gonna hurt you for the MCAT. Yeah, it uh, is. Doing well in the MCAT starts with doing well in your classes, mm-hmm. not just getting yeah. the A, but understanding the material. Right. Yeah. So is learn very,
1: learn long term studying, not cramming.
2: Yeah.
0: It's yep. very possible to make an A in a class and not
2: learn a whole hell of a lot in that class. <laughs> I mean, I've done it. <laughs> uh, I mean, we've all done it, yeah.
0: Um, I resent the accusation. Yeah.
1: Well, Ryan hasn't done it, of course. <laughs> All right. Question from our friend Yoti.
0: Is this clinical experience or not? Helping patients set up their patient portal and explaining benefits of using it. No other duties, paperwork, just but just have to do this in the clinic inpatient unit. I don't think so. No. I it's admin, so. admin work. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. For do yourself post back to reinforce grades, should it mostly be science courses or a mix? Science, 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 science.
2: science. Yep.
0: Science. Let's do, so, let's do some rapid fire to uh, to close out here. How do medical schools feel about eighteen to nineteen year old applicants? Ooh, good question. Uh...
1: <laughs> yeah. If we're doing rapid fire,
0: yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of guessing. nuance. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, th- think about it in, in terms of uh, it the admissions committee wanting to see someone taking care of their loved ones. Doogie Hauser is, is the exception to the rule. Um, We want to see someone that's a little bit older, a little bit more mature, a little bit wiser. So that definitely could come back to bite people. Students who are trying to rush through this process.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Let's see.
0: Um, sorry, I'm looking at Instagram too. Are medical schools more understanding of less shadowing volunteer clinical experience for people who are graduating college in less than four years? So, very similar question to to the last one. It, it, that's what happens typically is you rush through college and you're you doing well in your classes, it. but you yeah. don't have time for anything else because you're rushing yeah. through with classes. And and they don't care. No. And so typically you rush through college, and maybe that's some benefit is you have less tuition costs because you're rushing through college, but then you still take a gap year to get some of those experiences All to right. get a little bit older, wiser. All right. Is it okay to retake courses by one and chem one that's been five to six years and you feel you forgot the foundational knowledge needed in order to take the second level? Specific perfect yep. reason. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you've done well. Yeah, that's right.
2: And by the way, oh, go ahead. No, all right. <laughs> I was going to say a big shout out to our LGBTQ plus uh, listeners and, and viewers for uh, Pride Month. want to just say happy Pride to everybody. Happy pride. happy pride i saw um there's a lord of the
1: rings person i follow on tiktok and he's got aon i am no man you know when the woman kills the big bad monster yes yeah and now this month i am man, no man is in rainbow color and like <laughs> i usually try not to get given to like the corporate rainbow but i'm like man it's a one-man business i think i gotta buy it so you guys might <laughs> see that on me in the future <laughs> <laughs> future asked the dean. Yeah. All right. Uh, so this one isn't so short, but a lot of people have asked it. someone to represent it.
0: Do you recommend bringing up mental illness, depression, anxiety in primaries or secondaries, or would it reflect poorly? Mm. So Jesse's asking that, uh, I've said a bunch, um, tell your story. Uh, you have to tell your story. If it <clears throat> is integral to you wanting to be a physician, it's probably going to come up somewhere, maybe in your personal statement. Um, but you have to tell your story. And on the flip side, if you tell your story and a school rejects you because of it, you don't want to be at that school anyway. Right, exactly. Um,
1: So uh, for Jesse and anyone else who's interested in learning more about mental illness in medicine, Logan Noon and I did a session on this at um, National Pre-Med Day. So that's on MAP-TV if you guys want to watch it. Um, And one of the sayings he said that I just thought was so smart was, tell about scars, not open wounds. So if you're going through it right now, you may want to consider holding back. And again, not to not to belittle your own problems or to hide them, but you want to think about telling the story in a way where it's clear you're through it. So yeah. if it's if it's still an open wound, maybe it's not time yet. But if if it's a scar, if you're you're proud of that scar that you've healed, then yeah, yeah. Be, be yourself, be authentic. That's uh, that's excellent. Yeah. All right, 728.
0: One more, um, one, more, one, one more, one more, quick one. more, one more. Can find it.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> no pressure. I'll be starting med school in about a month. Woohoo! Any important tips I should keep in mind? Take sleep, care, sleep of before yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You got, sleep. You gotta take care sleep.
2: of yourself. Yeah. yeah. And and um, congratulations, Ram, for getting into med school and starting med school. This is yeah. this is awesome. Good for you.
1: Uh, I'll do a final reminder. If you have not tried Mapped, you can try it. Use the code thirty days free to get a whole month of no obligation. And uh, yeah, if you're if you're a map member or a map trialer, then we do Astinian every week. So it's public once a month, but every week for people who are in Mapped.
0: Thank you all for coming and hanging out with us. Mark your calendars for our next public one, which will be on July fifth, I believe. Mm -hmm. I I don't think we're gonna are we taking that day off? Nah, we'll do
1: Nah we'll work. At least we'll do (laughs) Acidine.
0: Yeah. Uh, we'll do Acidine Public Mm -hmm. for everyone. So we'll see you then, if not in our weekly acidines for our mapped members. All right. Take care care, everybody. everybody. Bye. every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out MAPT, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.